Well, welcome back to another episode of Life After Bliss. My name is John. And this is Thomas. And uh, we're here in the studio, the lab, if you will. And today, this week, we're going to talk about miscommunication. And I am an expert, actually, in miscommunication. I'm not sure if you are, but... I would like to say that I'm, I'm maybe not an expert in miscommunication, but I've certainly experienced a lot of it over the years. I've caused probably more than I've experienced, but you know me, John. I'm an actuary. I don't know how many of you guys know what that is, but we're math people, so communication is not necessarily our strong suit. Well, okay, and and to go back to that, I actually graduated with a degree in communication, and I can say with the graduate degree, I suck just as much it's communication as an actuary. But at least you professionally suck at communication, <laughs> right? So, I mean, for me, I'm a novice sucker of communication. There's something to be said for that. <laughs> yeah, I have a degree that says I suck at something. That's, that's perfect, exactly what I need. Well, today in the studio, we have uh, the brothers, the Vincent brothers, uh, Dan and Mike Vincent, and they're here. Uh, Dan, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Dan. Okay, I'm... that's enough. Um, <laughs> I'm just joking. Go on. <laughs> I'm uh, from the St. Charles area, uh, like you, and uh, I've been living here. I moved away after high school, but moved back about seven years with my family. And Mike, Mike Vinson is his older brother, and he's in the military. Explain your role. Uh, yeah, I've been in the military for 16, going on 17 years. Uh, so I've kind of made a, a career choice to do this, and communication ties in really well with with what I do for a living. And same with Dan, he failed to mention that uh, he's running the local chapter of Kids Against Hunger and also has got a great coaching firm called Kaleo Coaching. And I know my brother here could probably speak a lot better than me on, on some of the strengths of um, being good at communicating, but I'll do my best to contribute today too. So the reason, one of the reasons we started the Life After Bliss podcast is uh, Thomas and I met uh, about a year ago and we both went through a, a difficult stage of our lives. We was kind of still going through it somewhat. And uh, we both got divorced about the same time, and uh, and we'd been in long-term marriages, and that uh, kind of ended. So uh, we actually brought in the experts today that are still in successful marriages, and and so yeah, thanks, <laughs> for, thanks for rubbing that in, John. I yeah. really appreciate that. <laughs> but it is it is true, and as part of the journey of going through a divorce, I think anyone would tell you that one of the struggles with any relationship, not just a marriage, but any relationship, whether it's professional or friendship or even family, is communicating. And when relationships go bad, so often the core root of that is a breakdown of communication. Okay, so I, 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 um, I experienced this uh, quite often in my life. And so this happened to me just this past week. Um, I have a good friend, uh, Whitney, who was on the podcast last week. And uh, she and I discussed going on a family vacation to South Carolina. And uh, so it was, it was interesting. I mean, I don't usually go on vacations with other people, especially young women and their kids and my kid. And so but it, it worked out, whatever. So I had worked a long day and uh, we had talked about going on this trip and she had a special, she had an interview in South Carolina and I was like, okay, let's, let's do this thing. Let's so just... how long had you been talking about going on this trip? About, mm, about three weeks probably. So, okay. so enough you had time. A, a fair amount of time, not a long term thing, but this is not like a last minute thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so three weeks we'd got into it. And so uh, I, I don't know about you, but, but I think the day before you go on vacation is like your most successful day to do anything. So I packed as much as I could into this day. I was like, I had a, a video shoot in the morning and then I had an opportunity to go horseback riding in the afternoon. I thought that was awesome. So I, I did some horseback riding because that's, that's what we do. 
That's not what we do. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what you do. That's what I do. Okay. And so anyways, I packed, boom, boom, boom. I had all these activities to go. And uh, finally, I, I talked to her, and I was like, hey, I'm heading over there. Let's, let's go on the road. Let's, let's get on the road. We're driving to South Carolina. It's a 13-and-a-half-hour drive. So I, you were driving all night? I was, yeah, it was the plan to drive all night long. And so I got over there, and I had, short, I had a couple little bags, and I just got, out of, got them out of my truck. I drive a big truck, which uh, gets exactly 16 miles to the gallon. And um, I threw my bags out of the car. I was like, let's go. And she says, uh, why are you getting your bags out of the car? <laughs> and I, I said, because we're going in your little CRV. A little, we're going to get some good gas miles. We, you know, I, was, I had it in my mind. I was going to sleep most of the way or some of the way to South Carolina. And so I, was, I, was just, I had worked all day long and I beat myself up. And so uh, anyways, she's like, oh, we're taking your car. I was like, I, I can't drive my truck to South Carolina. That's, that's not what we're doing here. She's like, of course we are. She's like, we've been talking about it ever since. I was like, I never mentioned driving. She's like, I assume you were driving your car. I was like, I assume you are driving your car. It's like, it's your trip. We're going on your trip to take your car to South Carolina. And anyways, she said she was under warranty. The car couldn't go a certain amount of miles, oil changes, all this other stuff. I know it was a little, it was a little hokey, but I bought it. <laughs> I bought it. And uh, that night, I drove 13 and a half hours to South Carolina in my truck, and I didn't sleep at all. <laughs> and the, the best part was, I got close to South Carolina about, well, I was in South Carolina, I got close to our destination, um, it was noon the next day, and I pulled off the side of the road, I said, man, I cannot go any further, I was just like, there's 45 minutes to go, I was like, I just cannot move further, and she's like, well, I can't drive, she's like, I got such a bad night of sleep last night, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I watched everybody sleep in the car. I was the one driving the entire night. What are you talking about? Anyways, uh, so we, we worked things out. We did, but that's a huge miscommunication. It's a huge miscommunication. And, and, you know, I have like an extra, you know, 2,500 2, miles in my car because of it and uh, the life experiences that all that entails. So that's my, that happened within the last week. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. And the, the interesting word, I think the key word that you said there is that you showed up and you got out of the car and you said that you had assumed that, that she was driving and the word she used to use, we've been talking about this. He said, no, we haven't. And she said, well, I just assumed. And I think so many times at the root of miscommunication is assumptions. It's a lack of communication. So uh, let's just stop assuming. Let's just. Well, <laughs> do we assume everything and nothing at the same well, time? We or? have to, right? Or else we'd spend our whole lives discussing things. Like there are things we have to sort of make assumptions at, and there are things that we have to sort of skip over. But picking those very, very wisely is is the important part of communication. It just seems so blatantly obvious what should happen sometimes, and like I'm so on the wrong side of that. And I don't, I don't, and I'm talking about like not just this situation here, but like I'm talking about marriage, and I'm talking about all these little things that happen along the way. I think this is a, a classic case where it's an assumption, but it's deeper than that. There was an agenda there too, and the agenda it sounds like from from her perspective was to not drive her car. And so every decision made in terms of her communication or lack of communication was geared towards making sure that she didn't drive her car. That, that is something she had already determined yeah, was at one important. Point in time, at one point in time, she called me and said, do you think all the, all the car seats will fit? And I'm like, yeah, of course they'll fit. <laughs> all the car seats will fit just fine. You both talking about two different cars yeah, in that exactly. same conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, she, so she already had an agenda going in and really a lack of flexibility there. And so that maybe that's really where the, the secret gets unlocked is when we, could we become the types of people that 
generally don't have an agenda, don't, don't have a place that we want to require this communication, this, this process to get at, but instead we're happy with wherever it ends up, that way maybe you're less likely to make those assumptions that feed your agenda. Well, I'll tell you what, the lack of communication and the lack of assumption from the, it led to this big miscommunication thing. And what I ended up doing in this, in this uh, story was I just broke down. I was just like, I, I was like, I just shut up. I was like, it's my job. It's my duty. I'm going to drive to South Carolina and I'm going to shut the hell up. But was that your job and was that your duty? I took it on. Yeah. <laughs> I took it I wore that. I mean, I was like, I was like, I'm just going to wear it. I'm just going to wear it. I think that's an interesting part of the process. It sounds like, oh, the miscommunication stopped there in the parking lot whenever you switched cars. But did it compound by giving in? Or was there, you know what I mean? That's still part of that communication process. And that's a a minor example. And so you told the story, so we're kind of harping on, on that story. No, no, it's, it's good. But in any context, like when there's opportunity to... Uh, clarify or uh, point out, you know, or that compound, in my mind, I'm saying it compounds the problem or does it compound the problem whenever someone recognizes this is that there was clearly miscommunication, but whatever, and move forward. If I mentioned that she was attractive, does that change the equation whatsoever? Absolutely. <laughs> I think any of our previous podcast listeners would know that you find her attractive. I, I'm not saying, I'm not harping on that, but I, I, there's a power there that I don't know, I don't want to Listen, acknowledge or something. We now know that when it comes to car selection and Costco, anything she wants, you're going to give her. That's, that's what we know. That's funny. I've learned to say no, and so, I need to so say no more often. Yeah, so we're back to the topic of agendas here. And what the uh, what the end state is for any type of relationship, where it's going, where you want it to go, oh, man. and how that affects the way we communicate, or, or affects how we maybe don't communicate specifically, so as not to jeopardize the end state, the yeah. agenda you have that you're afraid to say. That's interesting. Okay, so like in marriage counseling, before my marriage broke down, uh, my counselor would always say the person that cares the least has the most control in a mm-hmm. in a relationship. And it kind of plays into communication because if you just don't care, if you're just like, eh, I'd rather not have the deeper conversation. I'd rather just kind of just let it roll or whatever. And it's like, if you withhold your communication, like, I don't know about you, but like, I'm a communicator. I communicate all the time and I desire it. Like, I, like, I, I feed off of it almost. And like, so silence is like kind of hard for me to like to handle sometimes. I know it's easy for you, Thomas. I mean, you're better with silence. I'm better, but I'm still, I'll tell you, in my marriage, I was the one who cared more. I was the one who would communicate more to try to close that gap. So you and I are closer in that regard, although you put me to shame in some ways. <laughs> I put myself to shame in a lot well, of ways. This is something I'd be curious to hear Dan's perspective on. Can you be, are, are there people that are naturally inclined to be strong communicators and people that are not inclined to be strong communicators? Uh, the short answer is yes in, in, the, in the way that we're talking about communication which is verbal right mm-hmm. so yes people can be uh, more adept to wanting that in verbal communication and wanting to literally hear those words um, so one of the things Mike mentioned one of the things I do is, uh, is I do coaching and I use a tool called the Clifton Strengths Assessment. It used to be known as Strengths Finder. I'm not sure if you guys ever heard of that. No. Um, and so that's kind of my primary tool whenever I coach with organizations or individuals. 
And my wife and I have both taken the assessment. So we have our results. And uh, the we actually, the results are in. The, the results are in. And <laughs> Thomas, you mentioned. Are, are you guys going to make it? <laughs> well, I will. I will say. I want to. I want to point out. You had mentioned uh, that there's two guys here that have had successful marriages, and I almost kind of like dropped my head because uh, be, because I'm still married doesn't mean we haven't gone through incredibly challenging times with communication at the center. So I married a Brazilian woman who, uh, which their culture is very much more a physical culture. They're a hug culture, we're a handshake culture. They operate around people. We tend to operate around time and clocks and schedules and things of that nature. So she's much more relational um, in that sense than I am. And I tell you, the, so the, the Clifton Strengths Assessment, it measures your patterns of thinking, feeling, behaving. Not necessarily like, are you introvert versus extrovert? Are you task versus people oriented? Uh, but what kinds of tendencies do you have um, as you go about your day? Are you more analytical? You strike me as someone who's probably more analytical based on some comments that you've already made. Absolutely right? guilty. You're evidence-based. You, you prefer uh, to, to receive as much information as possible before you make a decision as opposed to being willing to make a decision and just kind of roll with the punches. I'm the same way. Um, so my results... Uh, so there's 34, they call them themes of talent. My, res my top five, uh, which is what the basic, basic assessment will give you, are in my wife's bottom seven or eight. And it's, the, it's vice versa. Her top five are in my bottom one. And so what we've learned through this, um, as we've dialogued a lot about these results. Is that Paul Abdul was right. Opposites <laughs> attract. Boom. <laughs> If I heard they, that song on the radio today, actually. If <laughs> well, they don't kill each other, I think that's probably that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, one of the things we've learned is uh, verbal talking is not communicating. And you can both be talking, and, and this is, a, you know, in, in my marriage even more so because she could be speaking Portuguese at me and I can be speaking English <laughs> at her, but we're not communicating, right? Um, and likewise, when... Uh, here's a funny example. The other night we were going to go to dinner at Friends... Uh, I learned this three hours in advance. And so she said, hey, we're going to, you know, our, our daughter was over there swimming. We're going to go at dinner. And my immediate reaction was like, eh, probably we better not. Because I, one of my themes of talent, one of my results is, is that I prefer structure. It's called discipline, the strength of discipline. So I prefer structure and order as opposed to just kind of an open slate. And uh, I thrive better and I work better whenever I have that order. That wasn't already on my schedule. It, it, my anxiety literally kind, kind of, of a killjoy, aren't raises you? this. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> to people who aren't that way. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, of course. But it was one of those things. Her, she, knew, she knew that about me. Uh, and so it, she literally started to verbalize, you know, take 30 minutes. Make sure this is going to be okay. What are you doing? Keep in mind, that's not the way she is. She knows this about me. And so it was a moment of communication. She was kind of realizing, who am I speaking to? How are they going to receive the words that I'm saying? She knew before she even asked me, he's probably going to get flustered because I know he's doing this. And this wasn't on the schedule as a last-minute request. She thrives on these kind of adaptable last-minute, oh, sweet, we're going to dinner with friends last-minute. This is going to be so much fun. So it was one of those things, just because you're talking doesn't mean you're communicating. Yeah. And that was, uh, I point that assessment out because that was something that's been very, very paramount for my marriage. Because there's been moments where, uh, for periods of months, 
um, that we've really, really struggled. And, a, and this, that assessment has helped us a lot. And so I think it relates to communication just because it, it, it really helps you uh, frame your words differently and not take things personally whenever people respond in ways that you don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that puts a frame of reference, right? So often, I think we all know that we have different styles of communication, but it gets really tricky because sometimes it just feels like the other person is a jerk for the way they think. Yeah. And so that assessment really allowed, in addition to sort of identifying your guys' strengths to yourself, it gave you guys the tools to understand each other and understand that your brains work differently. Yeah. And so she could see ahead of time that you weren't going to like it, not because you're a stick in the mud, but because your brain is just wired differently. And that level of expectation, that level of understanding of who you are changes everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, whereas if she wasn't aware of that and she says that and she's excited and then she gets that hesitation, she gets resistance from you, conflict, yeah. immediate conflict. She takes it personal and, and to use the words you guys said, I am the killjoy that never wants to do anything fun and you know what I mean? And yeah, because you just literally, she came, she's excited, she's yeah. got this idea, she's pumped up, and she has an expectation that you're gonna meet her there. She has an expectation that you should be as excited as she is, and the expectation goes missed, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a fight. Yeah. So you, you went to the party, I guess, afterwards. You ended up doing the whole thing. Oh yeah, we had dinner, it was delicious. Did you have a good time? Oh yeah. Okay, Absolutely. but you had 30 so, minutes to kind of decompress. Yeah. And, that, and you needed that. And she yeah. knew you, and that was the way she loved you, is by giving you. That I needed that to rearrange the rest of my day. Okay, so now we're like, talking. We're talking about the last few hours of the day and dinner. We're not talking about big, critical life moments. But these are the little things. You didn't buy a car that night or anything. Or? <laughs> that's right. These are the little moments that seep in, um, and they start to pile up whenever right. you don't have this kind of awareness. What what I've experienced, and I'm not I'm not communicating this from someone who's who's never experienced that it's because we have experienced it and we've battled through it. And then we've received this new insight uh, to help us adjust. Um, yeah. Our communication. I agree. Like w when I was in marriage counseling, uh, the, the counselor would always say you, you died by death of a, a thousand stabs or what, what do they say? A thousand paper cuts. A thousand yeah, it, paper it is cuts. true. Yeah. You had sort of a similar story as I did. You didn't have the fatal wound. You didn't have the unfaithfulness at the end there where somebody is, you know, stepping out. It's just like you said, it's those little things. It wasn't even the big things. It wasn't, you know, the, the two or three, you said these terribly hurtful things to me. It was repetition over the years of little, you know, what do they, what do they call them, uh, microaggressions? I think that's the, uh, the in-term. Yeah, days. like, in, okay, so the thing is, like, I guess in, in that situation, a person can either get worn down to the point where they're just like, okay, whatever, I'm just gonna do it, I'm just gonna take it, whatever it is. Or they, they build up these these wounds and, and all of a sudden they're just like the camel is broken. The straw that breaks the camel batters. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Like either, either way, the camel's, he's the camel's, <laughs> camel's gone, yeah. it's over. So um, that was a really good uh, point there. And it's good to know that um, I should schedule anything in advance with you way far in advance. <laughs> and I should never call you spare the moment. She, after we got the, everything finalized, I said, hey, yeah, I think this won't be a problem because I still have a responsibility uh, to adjust and to give grace and to sacrifice. So it's no excuse for me to say, you know I need notice. It's no excuse for me, rather, to say that. Uh, so there's opportunity for me, despite that pattern of thinking. So you're uh, saying you adjust. can both grow in a situation like this? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. There's times where she'll, she will respect my perspective and say, yeah, this is too much. And there's times where 
for me, I have to just say, Dan, this isn't a big deal. Just do it. It's stressful, but get over it. It's not that big of a deal. And then her kind of joking text to me after I said, yeah, let's do it. She said, I'll let, I'll let, her, I'll let her know that you need two weeks notice next time. So that was her little comical. Like, but that's the awareness we have of one another, and, uh, and it's helpful. You know what I like about that is you guys turn an opportunity – um, that could have been like a resentful situation into like an opportunity to love each other and like love each other unspokenly almost and yeah. you know just through through uh, opportunities and you know just through uh, through life experiences because so. what I know about my wife is she needs those times she needs that dinner at her friend's house uh, because uh, because of her results communicate uh, about her that um, that's when she feels loved that's when she fills her bucket and and she needs those times. So yeah, I would definitely be cutting off something significant for her growth and, and her life had I just said, no, we, this wasn't in the schedule. We can't do it. Well, I, you know, I like hearing Dan talk about learning how to adjust. And I think you know, communication as, at its core is about improving understanding. But to what end? Which, which starts with knowledge and comprehension and then it goes more deeper into understanding. And then from understanding, it goes into analysis and synthesis. And then ultimately judgment would be the ability to discern uh, would be the highest level of Bloom's taxonomy of learning, right? And so when we talk about communication being um, geared towards improving understanding, I struggle with answering that question. Yeah, what, but to what end? So the military provides some structure to that. The military is about mission accomplishment, uh, accomplishing a goal. Uh, but there are plenty of people in the military that are like, that are like Dan, that need, uh, need, cert- need a little bit more certainty. Uh, but that's not the nature of the world we live in. The, the world we live in is all about uncertainty. It's all about ambiguity. Um, it's all about, um, you t- take that to kind of the spiritual realm, uh, it's about having your goals and initiatives attacked routinely by whether that be the forces of nature or spiritual forces or wherever you would want to go there. Murphy's law, you know, whatever will happen, you know, could happen, will happen. So if it's about accomplishing an objective and you know you're dealing with people that perhaps aren't real good at responding to uncertainty or ambiguity, how do you get a group of people good at that? How do we become people that are good at adjusting and adapting to our circumstances? And like not just people, but like in the army, in the the military, like everybody in the same with the same goal to do the same thing. So I think the military, the the Marine Corps takes some shortcuts in that regard where you take a group of people and you put them through a common uh, indoctrination type process, an initiation process where you shave your head and you all put on the same clothes and you all look alike and you learn a shared language and you have a common um, mutual understanding of, of, uh, of doctrine or uh, policies or procedures or whatever the case may be and you end up with this group of people that buy, that generally are able to communicate implicitly um, just as much as they have to communicate explicitly and when you can get into that type of world of implicit communication then you've got an intimate tight group of people that almost don't have to really talk much anymore they're communicating I think that's the ultimate goal with marriage right and so I think, there's a tie and... in, I think there's a tie in there anyways how do you create mutual understanding? I think it starts by contextualizing the relationship, not as something that is um, one-on-one, as much as it is two that have become one, right? And that are now pursuing a common goal. So maybe what I'm saying is, is that a common goal is required 
for really effective communication. And if that common goal is not there, then maybe it's a lot harder to have effective communication because the most effective communication is implicit. But that's really hard, right? It's talking without talking at all. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the nonverbals. Um, and if all of those nonverbals and implicit communication things are supporting the common goal, then you have to have a really good understanding of what that that common goal is, what that mission actually is. So, like, I was thinking of Batman uh, for some reason when you were talking, and uh, remember the uh, the Joker? He says, "This town needs an enema." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and, that and I was like, I was like, he was trying to unite the entire like bad culture or whatever to to to, to have this greater good to fight the enemy or whatever. He wanted to be the enemy or whatever. But like, I think they do that in the Marines, right? Like, they they kind of create an opportunity for you to all stand behind one thing and shoot towards one mission. Yeah, and I think that's true with any tribe, right? And there was a great book years ago called Tribes by, uh, by Seth, a, Godin. Seth Godin, a marketing guy named Seth Godin who wrote about tribes. And But there's some downfalls to tribes too. I, I'd say it's two sides of the same coin. A, a tribe that becomes very, very close and intimate, whether that be a family or, or the Marine Corps or whatever, is that all um, adversity is seen as an attack from the outside in, right? It's the, it's the other that's, that's attacking our tribe. Gotcha. And so e even whenever that's not reality, that's not the truth, every bit of adversity is, is seen and interpreted that way. So it's like the us versus them that's mentality. That's right. So it, the, the retaliation is generally very insensitive and very emotionally detached and can be very destructive, right? Yeah, I thought that but, would save my marriage. Honestly, I thought like like we're against the world and we're gonna we're gonna yeah. make it work because just us together. Yeah, we're but do but I think there there can be moments where that can be beneficial as well. Where if a group of people or if two people can be going through something difficult, and if they can say to themselves or at least entertain the possibility, uh, maybe you're not the one that's causing this difficulty to me. Maybe it's something else that I'm missing here interpreting every single difficulty as an outside attack can also be, you know, a blank check for an organization to retaliate. Uh, and, and oftentimes that can be a destructive behavior. Yeah. And, and to that point, like, I think if you're going to the spiritual realm, I think we, we uh, tend to blame like the devil made me do it or the devil. Not today, this. Satan. Yeah. Not today. Not today. Going to claim this victory in the name of Jesus. But, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, like, like that's a, it's, there's some truth to that, but there's not some truth to that. Like, like it's easy just to kind of go, okay, well, it was the devil. He made me do it, and let's let's fight against the devil, even though I'm a jerk and I can't love on my wife. And it's a common trope, right? The outside uniting from from the common enemy. I mean, you see it in in every media and all the books. It's like part of the motivational bringing a group together mm -hmm. is to give them the the commonality, the common enemy. Mm -hmm. It's effective. But I'll tell you what's interesting about what you talk about with that us versus them mentality is a lot of times what, what I've experienced is the other danger of that is that sometimes you have that us versus them. And if you're not careful, though, somebody on the inside gets pushed into the them category. And at that point, when you've already built up that historical sort of baggage around us versus them, it's real bad once you get pushed out. I think that that's a big part of like my marriage is we had like a real tight bond. I mean, we were like everything. We talked to each other, tons of communication. We had excessive communication, um, but very much like bonded, very much trust. But once I found myself on the outside, you, you become them. And once you've built up that mentality, 
it's very hard to come back from that because how you've already sort of set up these perimeters to say nobody gets in. We're going to protect this sort of arsenal that we've got here. We're going to sit and hun hunker down and we'll take care of anybody trying to get in. Well, I couldn't say that any better, honestly. So uh, we went to church together and we would be part of a young marriage class and they would always have like these games of like, how well do you know your spouse? And you know, you would like play these games of, you know, like, what did they have for lunch three days ago? What, <laughs> what, are they, what do they have in their wallet right now? What are they thinking about all the time? You know, and like we'd go through these games and Megan and I would win nonstop. We'd always win these games. And, um, and I thought, we have the best marriage of everybody here. Look at how good we are. Look how smart we are. Mm -hmm. And it was the us versus them mentality. And then after a while, I found myself on the outside looking in. So What's well, the story of codependency, right? Is that us versus them. When you're a part of the us, you've built your whole sort of contingency around this codependency on each other. But when that breaks down, you're in big, big trouble. So you have to keep up the facade as long as you can, is what you're saying, basically. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What happened is you guys didn't continue on there, John. You, you really should have been doing that more. <laughs> I should have created a, a bigger enemy or something, you know? Yeah, double down. The other thing that, that struck me as you're talking about, like, the Marine Corps, um, and, and maybe you could even, like, I think of it in business, where I'm at. I, I work in an office, and I work with people. And it's, it's easy, I think, to communicate very, very well in that setting because you, you live in a limited world there, right? When you're in the Marine Corps, it's not your whole life um, in terms of, of your personal ambitions. It's like a unified siloed mission. You guys have maybe a few objectives, but what if, if you didn't have like two or three objectives, you had 30 and you all had sort of different ones that are combined. And I think that's where like marriage gets tricky is there's so much packed into the agenda that it's complicated, right? You might have five shared points where you communicate really well on, but you each have another dozen of your own that you're sort of striving for in any given day. And the push and pull of that is challenging. You, you really touched on it earlier beautifully with like your wife and understanding how she needs those moments. You understood one of her personal agenda pieces that's not a shared agenda piece. It's her agenda piece. And she understood one of yours with your schedule. Those are, are not a shared agenda item. They're not a shared mutual goal. But peace in your marriage is, and you know that in order to get that, you both have to honor those other pieces. And that, that's like next level. That's like, you know, the 301, 401 type communication that you got going on in your marriage there. That's, that's to me, I think the goal, but it's so difficult to get there. Yeah, so how do we get there, basically? We, we take the assessment. <laughs> well, hold on. Yeah. First, we find the girl. Then we take the assessment, John, because, you know. You know, I, I'm glad you talked about the girl because I am dating a girl right now, and so are you. I mean, side note. And I think we're maybe I'm, dating. I'm not, I'm not ready to take an assessment with you, though, John. We're not, we're not there yet. <laughs> but I would say we're dating fairly successfully. You know, like we're doing pretty good. In a binary world of dating or not dating, I would say yes, I'm dating, so that's successful, oh, right? You're killing the moment right now. You know that? John, you know me well enough to know I'm going to give you a lawyer-like response. I'm not going to overcommit. I'm not going to oversell. And you know me enough to know that I've been over-infatuated and talking about it nonstop, so... Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I think Dan hit it on the nose earlier when he talked about uh, communicating with, a, um, with the purpose to adjust, to make an adjustment. 
and acknowledging that that's hard, every, it's difficult for everybody to adjust. What are you normally adjusting from? Well, you're normally adjusting from what your expectation is. So you have an expectation on how an evening's gonna go or how your week's gonna go. And then when circumstances change and you're presented with a, a need to adjust or to adapt, now you're at a, at a place where you either need to adjust and adapt to be successful or don't adjust, don't adapt and risk, increase the risk of failure. So how do we become those kind of people? I think it has something to do with starting with an understanding that, um, that you're not in control ultimately of your circumstances. Wait, wait, wait. I want to be in control of all my circumstances all the time. But if we come to grips with the fact that we live in a world that is characterized by uncertainty and that this isn't necessarily a big picture concept, this applies to all the little details of our lives as well, that there really never is certainty. And then if we could all, if we could, if we could embrace that in such a way that we're also willing to allow circumstances to play out however they play out. I think this goes back, Thomas, to what you were talking about, how many of our goals that we have in our circles, families or our communities, are not necessarily shared and overlapping. Most of them might be individual or or tied to other circles or tribes or communities. Um, We have to be content with letting those turn out however they turn out and also content with letting our shared uh, uh, goals turn out however they're going to turn out. And uh, I don't think that's divorcing ourselves of the responsibility to, to do things that are right and do things that are good and beneficial, but it's just acknowledging the fact that even whenever you try to do those things, circumstances are not going to always turn out the way that you wanted. Can you adapt to that? And how long does it take you to adapt to that? Because your situation with Kathy Lee earlier, where you needed to adjust to new plans for the evening, how long did it take you to adapt to that? Kathy Lee gave you 30 minutes. Sounds like that was sufficient. Can we become the kind of people that are better and better at adapting? And this is where I say the Marine Corps really spends a lot of time investing in people, getting them faster and faster at making those mental adjustments, changing that context, changing that framework in your mind to say, I saw it like this a minute ago. Now I'm going to see it like this. I don't like it but I'm going to do it because I know this is going to get me to this next step that I need to get to. And I need to get there quick. I don't have time to hold on to what my expectation was five minutes ago. Sure. I've got to move on to the next thing. So one of my favorite artists is a band named Switchfoot. And I just got to see him last weekend in San Diego, which I love these guys. And they have a song on their new album called let it happen. And uh, the, the chorus goes like this. It goes, let it happen. Let it happen. Tomorrow knows what tomorrow knows. You can't make it get here any sooner. Let it happen. Let it happen. I don't hold what the future holds. But I know that you're my future. And he's talking about God there because they're a Christian band. Yeah. But uh, it's just like kind of like giving into the unknown, giving into the mystery, giving into the, um, the idea of we don't control everything in this life and that we're just going to have to let kind of go with the punches. But I guess keeping that in context with who we are, not like letting go of who we are in that, con- in that moment. Yeah, because yeah. I think we do control things in our life. Sure. We, we do affect outcomes. We control. We control our actions, and we control how we react to things. And maybe that's what I'm talking about here is, is the reaction and recontextualizing 
our lives and is that a, a word recontextualize yeah. that's a lot of uh that's a lot of yes. syllables yes okay <laughs> sorry i'm not used to this Can I, I, they don't actually put a limit on syllables and words john <laughs> as long as they need to be if i can accept a new context that's characterized by uncertainty and rapid a rapidly changing environment and i apply that to everything in my life so that i'm not surprised when things change maybe i've even you know, considered it ahead of time. That would be ideal, right? So that I'm, I'm picturing a battlefield where an explosion goes off and you're able to say to yourself, well, we've, we figured this might happen. And so now I'm already kind of a step ahead in my ability to adjust to that or respond to that because we considered it ahead of time. And you would say, well, no one wants to consider their own mortality or think about the, something that might cause harm to them. Well, but that's the nature of the world that we live in. And I we think, probably should entertain those I things. I think that's so right. Like, and I can tell you as somebody who doesn't think that way, the idea of not looking at my, my plans, even plans that feel fairly well cemented as, as set, hmm. but to view them and say, okay, there's X, Y, Z that could happen, and then there's all the other things that could happen that I can't even consider, and more viewing it as a guideline or a template and sort of realizing that, that nothing is set. Having, well, having that view is, is so difficult, though. Well, this goes back, I think you said it a minute ago, excessive communication. And I thought it was interesting how you said that because I think that can be problematic. And I think excessive communication maybe tends to um, lean on the side of certainty and control. And when we accept a context of uncertainty and lack of control, maybe we get more general and generic and open with our communication goals because we understand we're not going to be able to control this in a precise way. And so I've got to have an open system of communication with lots of feedback loops, lots of opportunity to change and adjust and adapt uh, as opposed to something that's a little bit more linear that says decisions been made. We don't need to talk about this anymore. That doesn't take into consideration uh, the variety of changes or the complexity that's, that's going to end up coming coming up as you go into execution of that plan. Yeah, we've, we've, I feel like marriage has come up a handful of times as examples, but uh, we could also take this and overlap it across a corporation. I spent seven years at Bank of America, and so I had plenty of opportunity to understand hierarchy and, and forms of communication and things like that. Uh, but I think for me, and Thomas, maybe for you, we're still going to be those ordered structured people and that's not going to go away and i think there's still encouragement to say there's still a place for that and still use that because your best chances of succeeding are to work out of those natural tendencies or your natural strengths and for me the same um the opportunity is who you surround yourself with and and uh, being around people that are not like that and, and having those kind of powerful partnerships and relationships because, um, and, and my wife is one of those, uh, but there's other, you know, Mike's father-in-law is another one of those people. And I've been able to spend some time overseas uh, in Haiti doing, doing work with, uh, with the organization I work with and talk about uh, an environment, and it's an extreme example, I get that. <laughs> it's an extreme example. But talk about an environment for a guy like me to enter into and have, and, I'll, and I, every time I go, I enter with a schedule. It's a very, usually a very uh, logistical trip 
that involves deliveries and schedules and time. How often do you stick to that schedule that you've uh, set in your mind on the paper? Almost never. It right. almost never works out. Yeah, I would imagine. And uh, and but the people that I'm with and that I'm surrounded with are there to build me up, to lift me. And so my point going back is, uh, Thomas, you and I and our mentalities aren't going to change. And, and I would say, nor should they, because there's a place for those kinds of thinking, right? Um, uh, so this awareness is, is helpful, but I think what's even more helpful is when you actually surround yourself and you, you are able to engage with and uh, with people and spend time with people and, uh, and let them lead you into adapting when necessary. Um, That's a good point. That's a good point. At that point, we're going to actually take a break. Uh, our sponsor this week is Bank of America. Uh, <laughs> somebody used to work there, I, I think. Actually, our sponsor this week is uh, what's the counseling or what's the uh, what's your company? Kaleo Coaching. Kaleo Coaching. And what do you do exactly, Dan? Um, I do strengths-based coaching using Gallup's uh, Strengths Finder assessments. Actually, now known as Clifton Strengths. So I'm a certified Gallup certified strengths coach, and I work with individuals and organizations. I've worked with church staffs. I've uh, worked with uh, small businesses um, on on engage on becoming strengths based. So that is figuring out how to use utilize their natural talents, their natural strengths, in order to be more successful teams, in order to reach goals as individuals, and so forth. And for me, my particular passion is very specific about building people up. Your uh, your spot's only thirty seconds long, so you better wrap this up pretty soon. <laughs> it's building people up to the good work they're called to, and help them clarify calling in their life and so i use strengths i think strengths is a dynamic tool for that okay we'll be right back okay we're back with the podcast and uh we're talking about miscommunication communication blah 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 um sure so anyways uh one thing I remembered uh, growing up, and we're going to wrap this up really soon, but uh, in my Sunday school class, my Sunday school teacher, he said, uh, so many people are communicating that uh, when they're talking, they're just like, uh, basically they're formulating what they want to say next, that they don't even like listen to what's actually being said. And, and they're just so dead intent on what they want to say that they just have to get it out. And sometimes, like, honestly, my dad's really guilty of this, and I'll throw him under the bus, but... Like, he's one of those guys, like, I feel like the conversation would happen if I was or was not in the room. Like, he's just communicating, like, like he just has something he has to say and it just has to come out. And so um, I, that's one of the pitfalls I've seen. It's just, like, in my own life, just, like, getting the defense ready to go against the person or whatever. You yeah, know? No, I've, I've had someone say that to me before. There's two types of people in this world, people that are listening and people that are just waiting for their turn to talk. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're, you're talking about there. Yeah, and I'm I'm guilty. I mean, I I do that, so I have to catch myself all the time, just like saying, okay, what are they trying to communicate? What is what is somebody trying to say to me? How can I actually listen? How can I respond? Or do I need to respond? And I think I think in this culture, we all feel like we need to respond all the time to something that's said, and, and we all feel like we have to have an opinion on everything that's said. I'm reading a book by Brene Brown right now, Braving the Wilderness. I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys have read it, yep. and uh, she talks about how like she feels the need to respond all the time to things. And she's like, I, I found myself responding to things when I had nothing to say that was value, valuable at all. And she's like, why can't we just not say, I don't know anything about that topic. You know, teach me about that topic. I mean, that's, <laughs> in this day and age, we don't do that a lot of times. Well, it's, it's pride. And so we talked a lot about miscommunication, but there's also bad communication. Sometimes it's not even about like missing each other. 
but it's it's two people who have an agenda who hear each other but they're just their intentions are are selfish and prideful mm. and so many times in those conversations that's what it's about it's about saving face it's about um, presenting yourself in such a way so that you get your point across yeah yeah it's like it's like it's like you have to win the battle and if you don't then it's like it wasn't even worth having the conversation you right know? so so I mean communication goes far beyond words and words is not always communication and so learning those differences and what you're talking about that's not really communication or at least it's not productive communication sure um, it's it's really just monologuing yeah it's like it's like throwing something and just running away or something. It's just like you know, it's like I don't I don't care. I just I just want to get my point out there, you know. And I think we in, in politics, I think the Re- Republicans and Democrats are both guilty of that on the far sides. They're like, ah, I just get all get away with all the guns. We don't need any guns. And and then the NRA says everybody needs a gun. We all need to protect ourselves, you know. And so you have these two way opposing views, and you're like, okay, well. Sure, there's a little truth to each one, but come on, let's let's get in the middle here. But that brings in this aspect of fear, right? And the, so, like sometimes when we're communicating, we don't want to validate the other side because it's like the fear that it'll invalidate what we're trying to say. Yeah, I was I was just talking with somebody the other day um, who was struggling with their marriage, and um, and the the her husband was communicating in a fashion that was really shutting her down and and i, I can't recall the the specifics can you of recall what the she, actual person because so we want to get to i right? can't recall the exact specifics but my 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 encouragement to her was um to not get defensive and to not bristle up because if there's a fear on that on that end like you're saying there's re- it's really some kind of fear it's some kind of fear of being exposed or fear of losing control or feel fear of being outed or whatever it is. And they're taking it out using bad communication, not even miscommunication, but bad communication. And my encouragement was, uh, to listen, right. Be slow to speak, be quick to listen. Um, and then the response to be, what are you really trying to say to give them that permission to reframe what they're saying? Because the comments weren't what they were really trying to say. It was bad communication. They were accusatory. They were, you know, they were they were protecting themselves. But I think sometimes when you give a person permission to say, "What are you here? What are you really trying to say?" or maybe even say, "What I'm hearing is this," um, to try to help uh, kind of unclutter that bad communication, which, like you're saying, I think is coming from some kind of fear. Yeah, it is always fear, and I think what you're talking about is is right because you're giving them an opportunity to take a breath. And like feel safe you're creating a safe environment for them to say something that that is deeper than whatever they have to put on a front to, and you're to extend and you're extending grace to say you know what I'm not even gonna we're not even gonna go there because what I have to say is not even gonna be valuable sure. because it's just gonna be that's when it's gonna turn into the back and forth accusatory I think I think so many people like to live in that gray area of miscommunication where, where like they just want to state their their preferences or their views and I honestly don't want to dig any deeper than just that. And like it's easy to throw the Molotov cocktail and just run away. But it's a harder thing to actually say, okay, what are you actually trying to say to me? What, do you, what are you trying to convey? And here's what I'm hearing. Is this what you're saying? And like to actually dive deeper into any conversation is just – and I, I look back on my marriage honestly and I think I could have done that so many times and I missed the ball on that to some degree. You know? I, yeah, I mean, I mean a hard. frequent thing I've always said is I always felt like I was like six months or a year behind. It's like you sort of understand where the person was mm-hmm. like a year ago, but you dug yourself that much further of a hole. 
And so it was always one of those things where I just felt like I was playing catch up to, to catch up to understand where things were, but it's just like a movie. It's constantly changing. And so it's like you, you dig and dig and dig and you're like, man, if I was just where I was a year ago, I'd get out of that hole. Like I know that hole now, but it, it, it just didn't work out that way. It just did not work out that way. No, it, it didn't. And I mean, I learned a lot about my own families. I had a lot of fear, a lot of fear and a lot of pride and stuff like that where there were times where I didn't want to understand because I felt like I was right. I felt like I was, you know, aggrieved. I felt like I had been, you know, falsely accused of things. And rather than doing what you're talking about, like taking a second, taking a breath to say, is this really where you're coming from? And understanding that she was feeling all those things too. She wasn't really, it wasn't really all about me. She was feeling something and that was just how it was coming out. But I, I did not have the capacity for a lot of times to, to do that. And that was my own failing. And so you, you learn from these things sometimes very, very painfully. You sound like a good pastor right now. I don't know, I don't know why. Like, like exposing things and like talking about suffering and talking about how you've learned from experiences and stuff like that. I think that's really valuable. I think that's really, really valuable. So let's wrap this thing up. Uh, Mike, got any last words? Yeah, no, I, I just really uh, find it so fascinating that where we ended here had to do with um, accepting change. And I just find that such a, an interesting theme of what we talked about tonight that I think we become better communicators whenever we realize that, um, that we have to always be ready to accept change, changing circumstances, a dynamic changing environment. And that when that, when we're not surprised by that anymore, I think we become better communicators because uh, we're open now to those feedback mechanisms we weren't ready at one point in our life to, to gain understanding for whatever immature reason, perhaps. But now we see that no. Why did you look at me when you talked about immature I things? looked at both of you. I looked at all three of you. <laughs> Thanks. I looked at myself on the mirror, too. It's always the one that you don't look at that you know has problems. I'm like, I hope he looks at me. I, I went to the dinner, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Why did you have to uh, focus so much on how well you did in that situation, Dan? But I've read, I've read two books over the last, um, I don't know, a few years that have that uh, a little reminder of what's the secret of great improv comedy. Well, the secret of great improv comedy is saying yes to everything. And if you just keep the action moving forward and you never become an obstacle to what the narrative is, or you never become an obstacle to what the idea is, then that's the secret to great improv. Malcolm Gladwell talked about this in Blink and um, somebody else talked about it in some other book that I've been reading. So that's an interesting theme to success in life and maybe success in communication is that type of openness and that willingness to adapt and respond to changing circumstances. I like that. Okay, well, we're going to end on that note. And uh, thanks for sharing, guys. Thanks for coming up to the Life After Bliss podcast. And we'll see you guys again soon.